Welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangal, and today I'm bringing you our last highlight from the Digiday Media Buying Summit. Programmatic is modernizing traditional ad formats through smarter data and measurement capabilities, and the possibilities are only evolving from here. By using technology for the menial tasks that humans have historically handled, programmatic can provide greater efficiency, increase transparency, and better targeting, while also creating opportunity for those with smart, nimble strategies. No fat wallets necessary. Hear from iCrossing's VP Head of Programmatic, Amanda Betzold, on how they're changing the way ad buyers think about programmatic and how they're finding the right balance of data, technology, and human touch to drive business results. I learned backstage that you used to own and run a bar. I did. So I was just curious, what's sort of the key thing that you learned from that experience that you're now using to sort of inform your approach to programmatic? So I think there's a bunch that I learned. I think obviously targeting who's your market. Um, I think personalization is a big piece. So for instance, one example I always use is if you knew, if you have a regular customer that comes in all the time and you know they love IPAs, I'm going to know next time they come in, let me introduce them to a new IPA or a new beer that I think they're going to like. And I think that evolution of messaging applies both in the bar space and in programmatic. Um, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, let's talk a bit about this concept of sort of a new frontier for programmatic. I mean, I've been writing about programmatic advertising for 10, 12 years. Um, you know, people have talked about the opportunities in connected TV, in OTT. Um, you know, even radio and print. Um, but it's always been difficult for me to sort of separate the, the hype from the reality. Um, so give us a sense of just sort of how you think about that and where we are currently. Sure. I think that's part of what keeps it exciting for me is when I started in programmatic nearly 10 years ago at this point, we were only talking about display and video and native. And I think I still have clients today. So I'm fortunate in that I have clients that are really small. I have a lot of mid-sized clients and we have some larger ones. So I still see the gamut of where all our advertisers are today. And I think that's really beneficial as we find ways to help our different clients. And so I think it's great that we're moving beyond those digital formats into these more traditional ones and we're able to take a more full funnel approach. But I think you're right, there is still some hype about what's real and what's not. Um, and I think part of that is the evolution of the definition of programmatic. So we talked about programmatic even five years ago. We talked about automation and we talked about how we are connecting data and inventory in a, a fully automated fashion. And I don't know that that's true today. So when I talk to clients about the definition of programmatic today, I prefer to say a semi-automated fashion because I think it, the definition varies based on the format we're talking about um, and if it's more of a data-informed approach or if it's more of a truly programmatic approach. So to me, if it's fully programmatic, then we are able to transact, buy on our own, optimize, that, and, and fluidly move budgets between channels. So that's something, obviously, banners, video, native, even connected TV is there today, where we can optimize fluidly between those channels in a single platform. Um, I would say, Digital out of home is the next one that's getting there, especially when you look at in terms of targetability and measurement. But things like you mentioned, you know, addressable TV, print, uh, raid, terrestrial radio, direct mail even, these are all things we can transact on programmatically. We can use a data-informed approach to programmatically so we can get smarter about how we're buying, which lends itself to complement traditional buys. 
Um, but the measurement is not always as uh, robust as it was when you think about traditional digital programmatic formats. So talk a little bit more about that. Uh, we, we talked about this previously, but I, for some reason, get hung up on sort of the, the definitions and uh, I guess the differences, because people use programmatic to really mean a lot of different things. Totally. Um, you know, you can, you can buy data-driven advertising, be that out of home or print or whatever, through I.O. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be transacted programmatically. Um, so how, how do you think about sort of navigating that, that yeah. difference? Is, am I the only one that sort of gets no, hung up on I, that? No, and I think agencies are starting to shift. It reminds me how you know, agencies often had a mobile team, a specific team who was dedicated to figuring out that mobile space. And now it's just part of business. It's actually, you know, we're starting to head more mobile than we are desktop, for instance. And I think we're seeing that today with some of those other traditional formats. Like you might have a radio team who transacts on traditional radio and also works in a platform where they can buy radio programmatically. Or you see addressable TV teams uh, forming. And I think so here at iCrossing, we have that fall under one team because we're the, we kind of do the data-informed approach, but I think it really varies agency to agency how you're really approaching those different models. Is it more, I think this is something you mentioned as well, is it more sort of a reflection of how agencies have structured themselves internally than um, I, I guess what, what clients are asking for? I think that's part of it. I think part of it is need, part of it is scale. I think. Right now, that is still a growing piece of our business. So I think it's easy for us, and especially as some of those formats come into our platforms. For instance, if I can buy all my traditional or standard programmatic formats and also CTV and also digital out of home all in one platform, then it makes sense for it to fall with my team until we hit a certain amount of scale. I think we talk about addressable TV, for instance, if you're doing that on a managed service basis or direct mail on a managed service basis. I can see where that falls to another, potentially to another team, but it also depends on the data you're working with. If I'm in charge of working with my client's data and activating on that from a media perspective, then it makes sense that the same person is handling that across all of those channels. So talk a bit more about this idea of sort of moving the, the full funnel to programmatic. I mean, that sounds like a nice idea, but again, <laughs> like where sort of are we in that evolution? And, I mean, you mentioned earlier about the ability to just sort of, you know, move, move money seamlessly from one bucket to the other, which obviously is sort of the, the holy grail, quote unquote. But um, yeah, where are we in that sort of process? Do you think? So I think we can certainly transact throughout that full funnel. So we can do everything from awareness down to, like I mentioned, you know, anything in the loyalty or upsell bucket or action bucket, down to even direct mail. But that is specifically when we talk about transaction. When we talk about measurement, that's a, that's a different story. Or when we talk about um, optimization fluidly, there's a finite set of channels that we can do that on, and the scale is certainly there. But it's, it's less fluid between some of those things that we can't buy through a self-service platform, like a direct mail or like a like an addressable TV, or even a, a terrestrial radio, which we can buy on a self-service model, but we're using it for different things with different KPIs than we would be if we were buying it in a singular platform. Is that primarily down to the, the measurement challenges? Because, again, sort of obviously the, the promise of programmatic really has been the ability to, to use that data layer from a targeting perspective. But that really means nothing if you can't then sort of measure it on the back end and you don't have that feedback loop. 
Totally, and I think that's not the, I'm sure that's one of the benefits, and it was the same when we had the conversation of digital, which is how all digital at one point in time became very direct response focused because our clients were like, we can measure to CPA, let's do that. That's yeah. all we're gonna do, and I think but it, it was really kind of narrowed our focus. like blessing and curse, right? Exactly. It's like we can measure everything, awesome. Let's. And it's the same <laughs> thing with programmatic. So I think the way I think about it is, it's using that data to get smarter about how you're targeting, get smarter about how you're personalizing messaging, think about creative sequencing and frequency capping, but also measurement. But the, the key thing in the conversation we're having a lot with our clients right now is, what's the right KPI at each format? What's the KPI at each stage? And that KPI might differ, obviously, for a CTV or an addressable TV versus anything, any of your digital channels, like it might be about delivery for radio and about in-store traffic for digital out of home and CPA still for digital, but it's also breaking up that conversation just in the digital space. And I think that's new to many of our clients where prospecting versus remarketing should also have different KPIs. So I think we're starting to have that conversation across the funnel. What's the right KPI, no matter what the format, what the tactic, and what's, what's the business objective? Because if we get lost in just thinking about CPAs, we lose focus of that overall business objective. What about the, the data piece as well on this front? I mean. I mean, data can mean anything, but um, what's sort of the opportunity here? I mean, obviously, we talk about marketers moving to a lot more first-party data. Um, how feasible is that when we sort of move beyond digital? Totally, and I think, so when I think about data, I think we can all agree there's a data quality product problem out there, and that's why we're all looking to create our own data sets to some extent. Um, so the, the third-party data problem obviously being we don't know the recency of that data. I don't know the methodology of how it was collected. It's almost like programmatic 10 years ago where it's extremely black box. So I think that's where I often tell my clients, your data is your best data. But that's only partially true. And that's part of the hard conversation is, you know, you just heard, clients can spend up to $12 million building a DMP, collecting all this data. But you're only as good as how you've segmented that data and how recent that data is and what you know about it. So I think that's been part of where the consultancy of ad agencies now comes in is helping to figure out how do we make your data the best data possible, um, making sure that we have all the right places tagged, we're bringing in all the right data, we're segmenting it, and we understand that recency, that frequency of events, be it web pages, visits to a store, purchases, so that we really understand who we, are, who we have for targeting and for suppression in the data that we're using. The other problem we often run into is scale, because you only have a finite amount of your own data. So that's great for remarketing or suppression, it's great for lookalike modeling, but the scalability of that, depending on the size of your data set, how long you've been organizing your data, um, if you've scrubbed it for GDPR, for instance, might be a little bit smaller, so we have to supplement it with other data. And that's where you're obviously seeing Google, Amazon, Facebook starting to win out because of their data, and that's where the unified ID conversation comes in as well. So I think everyone's trying to figure out what's that alternative to third-party data, and so we start to look at the Trade Desk's unified ID. We start to look at these massive partnerships, you know, IPG buying Axiom. There's obviously a reason for that. We have Hearst data. So there's these 
data sets where you really want to understand what is the quality of that data and how can that supplement what I'm doing for my client. And I think we're, we're all looking for those alternatives. How, how does this just sort of more broadly this discussion relate to in-housing as well? I mean, obviously that's a trend that has come up a lot over the past couple of days. Yeah. Um, and I mean, one school of thought is, you know, everything is becoming automated. Um, you know, clients are seeing what they can pull in-house. Um, you know, traditional media is getting more automated. Like, why do we even need an agency? What's uh, sort of the, what, what's the challenge or the threat to agencies and, what, and what's the opportunity there? I don't see it as a threat to agencies. I think if a brand wants to bring their stuff in-house, we fully support it. And we do have clients that are, that are starting to move towards in-housing. And so it just shifts our role as an agency to become more of a consultancy to them to make sure that they're set up for success when they do that. And what a lot of our clients are finding is it's very hard to do, especially if you are a mid or small size client. And it sounds like there's been a lot of conversations around this over the past day or so, but there's a certain level of knowledge, there's a certain skill set, and there's definitely a certain cost involved in doing that. So personally, I know how hard it is to find great programmatic staff, great data specialists, someone who knows, understands that data warehousing, how to segment it, can really own that, and then it's a different skill set to mine that data and to segment it than it is to activate on it. So I think having those partnerships, a lot of our clients find help, um, but we're happy to have those conversations to help prepare them for it. But it's the, the cost of finding the specialists to do that and bring them in-house. There's a finite number of those people right now. But then it's also the cost of learning. So like I mentioned, we have small, medium, and large clients, and we have you know, say we have 20 clients, we run the gamut of categories. And so we have the opportunity of learning every day. If it's very quick, if I say, oh, my retail client learns that XYZ type of tactic really drives people in store, I can apply similar strategies to a QSR client. And it's great to be able to cross-use learnings when it comes to measurement or tactics or strategies. And those are opportunities that in-housing teams often don't get. It's also very hard to keep your pulse on the marketplace if you're trying to build this practice in-house and you have a finite number of people and you're also trying to keep up with the speed of this evolving marketplace. So there's definitely a lot of challenges to it, but we're certainly happy to have that conversation. How does that relate to some of your smaller clients as well? Um, you know, sort of, we, we've talked a lot, I think it's come up, uh, in terms of DTC brands sort of being a lot more data-driven, a lot more focused on sort of customer acquisition cost and some of the harder business metrics. Um, I, I feel like, is this an opportunity for them, or are they using programmatic to sort of dip their toe into, into new channels to some degree? Or? Yeah, and I think that's, it's not just DTC, it's, it's our mid and our small size clients. And I think that's been the great opportunity is the barriers to entry are, are coming down and they're a lot lower than they were before because a lot of the creative they already have can now be used in multiple channels. It takes three banner sizes vectorized to enlarged to a good format to be able to run digital out of home. That's a great lower creative barrier to entry. You can also do a lot more for 25,000, be a lot more targeted, find your audience, be location targeted, be very personalized in your messaging. Think about moments messaging, for instance. Like, I can get as granular as saying, 
I know that you are in Seattle and it's an abnormally sunny day. You're in the mall because I have your mobile ID. Hey, visit Sunglass Hut, you know, pick up a new pair of sunglasses. So being able to work within the confines of scale um, really helps those brands get rid of that barrier to entry because you can do a programmatic buy for 25,000, you can do it for 25 million. There's a lot in between. But if you think about how targeted you want to be, I think that really allows clients to be able to test formats that they couldn't have tested before. How do you think the, the perception of or the definition or interpretation of the word efficiency is sort of evolving as well? I mean, this is another thing that's come up over the past couple of days. Um, you know, someone said yesterday that, you know, really you should want programmatic to be more expensive than, uh, you know, I, I guess what you were doing previously with, with IOs. Um, yeah. How, how feasible is that? I mean, I, I feel like programmatic to date has still, regardless of what people say, has been driven to large part by cost rather right. than anything else. But. Totally fair. I think there's two pieces to it. There's efficiency in cost and there's efficiency in workflow. And I think the efficiency of cost, if you think about, like I said, programmatic five, 10 years ago, it was very black box. You didn't really know what you were buying. And I think that's where you, you got a lot of your direct response clients and you were, there was a lot of games we all know being played to figure out how can we get the most efficient cost per whatever that action is. How can we get the most volume? Or if the client gives a specific goal, well, you've kind of trapped yourself. You want 25,000 conversions for a $3 or a $10 CPA? Great, I'll get you that. And then the rest of the margin comes into that managed service partner, that agency, that whatever it is. And I think it's great that now we can have this conversation of what is ultimately the business objective and how do we have a more transparent conversation to figure out what is the right price you should be paying for that conversion and how do we marry the two. And so I think in case there are cases where programmatic should be more expensive. I've inherited buys where they're like, we're getting a $7 CPA, we want to keep doing that. And I'm looking and I'm like, but it's a complete retargeting plan. When I look at the size of your pool and the frequency cap you have and the match rates, there's no way you could be spending that much to get that efficiency. So something else is going on here. I could guess what it is, I, but obviously there's a game being played here. And I think now that we can have these, these conversations and say what's real and what's not and what the right price is when we work in a transparent model, I think our clients certainly win. Um, the other side of efficiency is then workflow. And I think part of it is, part of the beauty is we are starting to get a little more automated both in transactions. So if you have a campaign set up and you're renewing it time over time, that takes away that time period that you have to, uh, to figure out that purchase process. Um, with auto bidding, we test it out. We A-B test auto bidding versus manual quite frequently. But that takes some time away from optimization. So a lot of these things are being um, automated to a fashion that we can now spend more time on the human elements doing what we need to do rather than focusing on negotiating and buying. And so we can focus on building strategies for our clients, pulling out insights for our clients, doing A-B testing, making creative recommendations. And so I think that's where the efficiency also comes in, is, is allowing us to do more of that human element. Okay, uh, we have a couple minutes left uh, for a couple quick questions, if we have any. Just raise a hand and we'll get a mic to you. Thanks, uh, this was awesome, thanks. 
Thanks, Amanda. Quick question for you. Can you share a little bit of your opinion on the Amazon DSP? And if at all, how it's disrupting advanced TV, connected TV, OTT um, in its current state and where you think it might be going? Sure. I think there's a, it's definitely becoming more of a force year over year. And I would say when we look at it for our clients, especially when we talk about quality of data, we're certainly starting to use it more and more. I think there's some limitations in that it is a little bit black box. Um, they, you know, if you want to use, it's very rich data. I would say some of the best intent data out there, if you look at Amazon as the third largest search engine, that search intent data is powerful, as is everything you've given to to Amazon. I was looking the other day and I was like, wow, you know exactly what I've read, exactly what I've watched, exactly what I've searched for, whether or not I bought it here. You know my credit card information, so you have my location. You know so much information about me. So I think that's powerful in that we can use it on Amazon, on Amazon's O&O, and off-platform. And we're starting to see, especially that search retargeting data, work better and better. I think it'll be interesting to see is that, you know, voice isn't there yet, so Echo isn't playing a huge role right now. I can't buy it programmatically. But I think as we start to think about voice and the connection of that data, it's going to become more and more important and they're going to be a larger player. However, I never buy it in a silo. I always complement it with other places where I can do other formats that I because I can do display and video. I, there's other formats I need to buy. There's other strategies I need to be able to do. But I think it complements a lot of our buys more today as we look at the quality of data. OK, uh, I think we're out of time. But Amanda, right. thanks so much. Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks, guys. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, then please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you're already subscribed, please leave us a rating and a review on wherever you're listening again, because this really helps our podcast be discovered. And I'm sure you want to discuss this with other people in the industry. So leave a review. And I'll be back with another episode from another summit very soon.